Good to be together again. And uh, as we prepare to come to the Lord's Word, I hope you'll take your Bibles out and turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11. Today we come to verses 35 to 40 and the end of this marvelous chapter. You'll recall we've noted that the author's goal in this letter of Hebrews is to encourage some very discouraged Jewish believers in Jesus to hang in there, to keep following Christ, to live as people of faith. This chapter has often been called the Hall of Fame of Faith as it recounts some of the great Old Testament heroes of the faith. Over the past few weeks, we've seen how this chapter has reminded us of Abel, of Enoch, of Noah, of Abraham and Sarah, of Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses' parents and Moses and Joshua and Rahab and Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and unnamed more uh, heroes of the faith. People who saw great blessings, who saw miracles and victories and deliverances through their faith and their trust in God. It's full of great miracles and victories of faith. We ended last week with the first part of verse 35 as it uh, celebrated how by faith women received back their dead by resurrection. Certainly, all of these stories of great victories must have been a wonderful encouragement to these struggling Hebrew believers. But today, as we continue with verse 35, our text takes an unexpected turn, a shocking twist. Follow with me. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth." Here in just a few lines, we've plunged from the heights of victory into the depths of suffering and affliction and death. The writer of Hebrews is giving us more important information about what it is to live by faith, but these lessons might just be the lessons that no one wants to hear. See, first we see that people of faith sometimes suffer. Great faith may still involve great suffering. And you noted, as we read through probably, that these these verses, they list many different types of suffering. It says some were, were tortured because they refused to find release by compromise. It says others suffered mocking. They were made fun of. They were belittled. They were slandered. Others says they were... They they suffered flogging. Flogging is to be beaten with sticks. If you've ever heard the term being caned or caning, that's what flogging is. It says there were chains and imprisonment. Some were stoned, an awful way, I imagine, to die. 
says some were sawn in two, an even worse way to die, I imagine. Some traditions, by the way, say that the prophet Isaiah was sawn in two. Some were killed with the sword. It says some went about in skins of sheep and goats, not because that was fashionable attire, but because they had nothing else to wear, literally. As the next word explains, it says they were destitute. That means they were impoverished. Others, it says, were afflicted and and mistreated. Two very similar words, meaning they're persecuted, they're tormented. There was no justice available to these dear saints who lived by faith. It says they were wandering about in deserts and mountains. They lived as social outcasts, living in dens and caves of the earth because they've lost their homes. They were homeless because of being persecuted for their faith. You know, there are some Christians today who incorrectly believe that people of faith should be healthy and wealthy, that they should always prosper, that they should never be sick, that they should never suffer. But that is not what the Bible teaches at all. This passage is one that makes that abundantly clear. Of course, it is true. The Bible does tell us that a life of righteousness, a life of right living, tends to bring its own blessings and rewards. That if we are honest, if we have integrity, if we live with being kind and gentle, if we work hard, if we pay taxes and pay our debts, if we honor others, if we live as servants of others, if we love our spouse, we love our children, if we are faithful all of that tends to pay off with, uh, with a clean conscience, with good relationships, with having respect from other people. It brings blessing. It's also true, the Bible is clear, that sin in our lives tends to bring problems into our lives. Broken relationships, fear, guilt, trouble. But... The Bible could also not be clear that righteous living is no guarantee of a wonderful, idyllic, postcard picture life. The reason why isn't very hard to figure out. The Bible explains, for one thing, we are sinners. We are people because of sin. We are not perfect. We fail. So we make bad decisions, bad choices. That, along with being sinners, both, both of those bring problems and suffering upon ourselves. But secondly, we, we live in a fallen, in a broken world. We live in a world that is under a curse, a world where, where natural disasters and, and things happen. We live in a world with sinful people. Both of those bring more problems into our lives. But thirdly, we can expect that we're going to have problems and we're going to suffer because we have enemies. The Bible tells us that Satan and the world system, which is under his control, that they both seek to destroy and to deter and to deceive us precisely because we belong to Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, you may remember in John 15, Jesus said, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. He says in verse 20 there, John 15, Remember the words which I spoke to you. No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, 
they will persecute you also. When someone comes to faith in Jesus, all their problems don't just disappear. In fact, for many, coming to Jesus is just the beginning of great problems. And these heroes here in Hebrews 11 and these verses before us, they do not suffer because they lack faith, but rather they suffer precisely because of their faith. Note the very next verse, verse 39. It says, and all these, though commended through their faith. It says, these folks are commended by God for their faith. God commends them. Their suffering isn't because somehow they are faithless or they lack sufficient faith or they are disobedient or they are evil. Rather, they have God's seal of approval and their suffering comes because they are people of faith. What sets the people apart here in verses 35 to 38, these people who are tortured and abused and executed from those in the verses we looked at last week in verses 30 to 35, people who are delivered from lions who escaped the flames and, and escaped the sword and they routed their enemies. What's the difference between them? There's absolutely no difference in their faith, only in the outcome of their situation. See, sometimes faith provides miraculous victory from suffering. Miraculous deliverance from suffering. But for others, faith gives victory through suffering. It gives deliverance through suffering. And in many ways, that may be a greater miracle than being delivered from suffering. Did you notice the description of these suffering faithful in verse 38? says these were people of whom the world was not worthy. These people are the very best that the world has. They are unnoticed now. In our text, they're even unnamed. But these heroes are known in heaven. They will be named there. They will not be forgotten there. Indeed, I think many of, if not most, of the greatest heroes of the faith are yet unknown to us, but they will be well remembered in heaven. I think there also is an implication here in saying that the world was not worthy of these suffering faithful. I think it implies that people of faith are a gift from God to the world, a gift that is often unappreciated. And how are people of faith a gift to the world? One way is I think that simply they are a positive influence in the world as they live godly lives, as people live with integrity and love and joy and peace and patience and goodness, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, that such people bring richness and beauty and, and good things to the world. They have a positive impact. But another way that people of faith uh, are a gift from God to the world is that they reflect His character as they exhibit the love of God and the grace of God to a world that doesn't know Him, hopefully people see in people of faith, in us, they see a, a little family resemblance of what God is like as they look at us and we reflect our Father. And another way that people of faith are a gift to the, to the world is when we live on mission proclaiming God's truth and salvation as God has called us to do as those who believe in Him. 
But the main point here in this text is that suffering is not introduced into this chapter as the low point of faith, as the place where faith failed, but rather it's interjected here at the end as the pinnacle of faith, at the highest point, at the point where faith doesn't cave even in the midst of suffering. You see, faith is at its finest when faith remains firm, when it remains steady regardless of the consequences. As verse 35 says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release. The implication is that all of these sufferings that are listed here that the people involved in these, that they had, a, they had an opportunity to compromise, to disobey God or to recant their faith. And if they would, the suffering, the poverty, the abuse, the threat of death, those things would come to an end. But they refused to do that. They stood firm regardless of the consequence. See, faith is obedient to God is faithful whether the result of that faith is a miraculous deliverance like those ones before, earlier in the, in the verses, or whether the result is, as it was with these, suffering or even a painful death. But we may wonder, and I think often many of us do, why would God allow the faithful ones, these faithful ones, or You know, at times we personalize it. Why does God allow me to suffer? Well, our text here lets us understand that when people of faith suffer, we can be assured that God has a purpose in their suffering. This passage gives a fascinating answer to this question. Why does God allow his people to suffer? Look with me in verse 39 and 40. Follow along as I read. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. There's a lot here we don't have time to get into, but I just want to call our attention to this. It says here, God had provided something better for us. These suffering saints of the past suffered for our good. We are reaping the benefits of of the suffering of these ancient saints. Adoniram Judson, who was a pioneer missionary from America to Burma back in the early 1800s, he made a very insightful observation. He said... Success and suffering are vitally and organically linked. If you succeed without suffering, it's because someone suffered for you. And if you suffer without succeeding, it is in order that someone else may succeed after you. But there's more. Verse 40, we noted it said that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Something that this passage wants us to note is that we are connected. By faith, we are connected to these suffering saints of old. We're going to talk more about this next week. 
But for right now, we just need to know and understand that we are connected and we are, every one of us, needed. All of us, by faith in Jesus Christ, we are connected into the body of Christ. And our part there and our role there is necessary. And God is at work in the people of faith as a whole. He is the master artist who is making a living masterpiece, as as Ephesians says, that we are being built up into a living temple. And God is doing something marvelous. And whether it is the victory of a saint or the suffering of a saint, every bit is important and their suffering is incomplete without us. Every every suffering, every triumph is shared and intertwined. We live in faith, trusting the sovereign, gracious, and loving God to make every part of it, whether it's our victories or even our sufferings, to make them beautiful and worthwhile. And he will. Very much like a tapestry. If you've ever seen one on the backside, it makes no sense. It's an ugly mess until you see the front. So one day when we are in heaven, we will see a different view. We will look down on our sufferings and our victories, and it's going to change our understanding of everything. But for right now, faith has to trust God, that God has a purpose, and it's a good purpose. One more truth I want us to note this morning from this passage on suffering and faith. And that's this, that faith will help us endure suffering. I know that some of you who are watching this morning, some of you are suffering. In fact, most all of us eventually will suffer. Some will suffer greatly, some will not suffer greatly. Most of us probably will not suffer torture, martyrdom, or being destitute. We may, but most of us will not. Many of our brothers and sisters around the world are suffering that this very day. But while most of us won't suffer that, I know that many of you, many of us, do suffer. Some of you suffer illness. Some of you suffer disability. Some of you are suffering from physical pain or maybe from financial problems, lost jobs. Maybe it's betrayal, heartbreak. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. What does this passage mean to you and me? about how we live in faith, about how we live in suffering. Well, this text and these suffering heroes give us three bedrock foundations to cling to, three keys, if you would, that will help us to encounter the storms of suffering and to endure them faithfully. The first is this, that faith, as we've already mentioned, faith trusts that God has a purpose. And in understanding that, we we realize, as our text has already told us, that it's not about me. The life of faith is not about me. We're connected. We're connected to the people of God, the family, to the body of Christ. The life of faith 
is not about me, but it's more than just even about the body of Christ. It's about God himself. Look up in verse 6, which we noted a number of weeks ago, where it says, verse 6, that faith believes that he, that God, rewards those who earnestly seek him. At his core, the life of faith is not about me, it's about seeking God. Faith pursues God rather than my own agenda, rather than my own desires. And as we seek him, we leave everything else up to him. It's actually what Jesus said, you may recall, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So faith trusts that God has a purpose Secondly, faith also looks to our heavenly destiny. The life of faith is not about now. It ultimately is about heaven. The life of faith understands that our real reward, our real treasure is not here. Our real home is not here. As we saw with Abraham and the patriarchs, they recognized their home was not an earthly city, but they were looking for a heavenly one. We saw it here in our own text this morning in verse 35 where it says that they, they refused to, to, uh, to look for a way out of the torture because they, they were looking for a better life. They were looking to rise again to a better life. Again, going back to the first verse of this chapter where it gives the definition of faith. Faith is the substance or the conviction of things hoped for. It's understanding that our hope is in heaven and it has substance. We're, conv we're convinced and convicted about it. We know it's real. And we live for that because that is more real and more important than this life now. The world, this world wasn't worthy of these dear saints, but their eye was on a much better place. Faith recognizes that heaven is better than anything that this world offers. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, he said, What does it gain a man to gain the whole world but to lose his own soul? I love the way that John Piper uh, explained it when he was commenting on the common thread of faith between these heroes who, who suffered and those who escaped suffering. He, Dr. Piper wrote, he said, both of them involve believing that God himself is better than what life can give to you now and better than what death can take away from you later. When you can have it all, faith says that God is better and that when you lose it all, faith says that God is better. Faith, faith is always looking to our heavenly destiny rather than whatever we can have or lose here on earth. Thirdly, the third key and a third important thing to help us to, to stand faithfully even in the midst of suffering is to remember those who suffer for Christ. The author didn't mess up here by talking about suffering. He deliberately points out to these very discouraged Hebrew followers of Jesus, he deliberately points out people who, who suffered before them because they are part of us and we're connected to them as, as 
we are to all who follow God by faith. We do well to learn the stories in Scripture and to remember those who by faith followed God faithfully through suffering. We also do well to learn and to remember the stories through church history of our brothers and sisters in Christ who by faith followed God even through much suffering. We also do well to learn the stories and to be busy and active praying for the thousands, hundreds of thousands of our brothers and sisters in Christ who this very day are by faith following God even though it brings persecution and suffering. And I believe that God will use that knowledge and that awareness and those prayers as we remember those, our fellow brothers and sisters who've suffered for Christ. He will use those to encourage us and to strengthen us to stand by faith in the midst of our own struggles, even as he did these Hebrew believers so long ago. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we often do not stand faithfully in suffering. Instead, we throw pity parties. We complain. We abandon you and go our own way. We look for a way out of the suffering rather than looking to be concerned and to be sure that we stand faithful in following you. Forgive us, Father. Father, we ask that you would help us, that you would increase our faith I love that, that statement by the man as he was talking to Jesus. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Father, we believe, but we recognize our faith is so frail. Strengthen us. Help us to stand firm. Help us to be faithful, even if the, our faithfulness brings suffering. Help us, Father, if right now we're in the midst of victory and things are going well, for that is as well. Uh, a, a time where it's easy to get our eyes off of you. So whatever our circumstances are, Father, we pray that we would learn the lessons that we have seen through these, these heroes of the faith all through this chapter of, of Hebrews 11. That, Father, we would live by faith, that we'd keep our eyes on you. Help us even this week. Father, we pray that in the midst of these times, as we, we live right now in, in, in our, our world, we're dealing with this whole coronavirus pandemic. We're dealing with racial tensions and, and protests and riots. We're dealing in a world with so much unrest and there's financial problems going on. There's so many opportunities for us to exhibit our faith in you, to demonstrate our love for you in the way that we care for others and to live as godly men and women. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to, to put this all into practice. 
to follow you faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.